You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be reacting to Fulham's busy deadline day. It's always a busy deadline day when Fulham are concerned. Three transfers in. Two, really, but three if we're getting technical. And two leaving Motspur Park. So all the reaction to another busy late night at Motspur Park it never changes. We'll also preview Friday night's SW6 derby this time at Stamford Bridge. Can we do the double over Chelsea for the first time ever? Which is an incredible thing to say. You'd have thought it would happen sometime back in the day, but it's never, ever happened. Also, we've got a load of your emails and then some this will catch ons at the end. And as ever, they are absolutely brilliant and i'm joined by the regular thursday club today jack collins hello hello listeners hello sammy happy birthday for yesterday it must be an absolute travesty having birthday your birthday on deadline day when fulham do this every single year but uh another year older mate every single year so so my birthday is the 31st january and then my wedding anniversary is the 31st of august so i've basically always got plans on deadline day i mean one of um, those one of those you made the mistake yourself Yes, yes, no, it was fully the, the wedding anniversary. Well, I mean, it would have been quite a hard conversation when we found a good date for the wedding to say to Caroline, look, it's going to be quite inconvenient for this anniversary to always fall on transfer deadline day. I don't know how well that would have gone down. Uh, Peter Rutzler, hello. Hey, Sammy. To be honest, it's quite a good thing to have something else to do on deadline day. Otherwise, you'll just find yourself staring at your phone all day. Although if you did do that on your wedding anniversary, that might be a, might be a problem, I think. <laughs> Or actually on your wedding day would have been more of an issue. (laughs) Yeah, even worse. (laughs) I don't think it was transfer deadline day on my wedding day. I can't remember. I was thinking about other things, but I don't seem to remember there being much hive of activity of Fulham transfers on that day. Jack, you might remember better. Um, So let's look back at... uh, Another late night. I mean, you say like, oh, you've got to spend all day watching. We all know when the transfers are going to drop. They're going to be at least past 10 o'clock. They're normally going to be past 11 o'clock. So Sasa Lukic uh, arrived from Torino for a reported 10 million euro fee. That's about £8.8 million sterling. Uh, And then Cedric Suarez joined on loan from Arsenal, which meant that Shane Duffy's move from Brighton had to become permanent. Feels like more of a formality, really. He's joined until the end of the season. Then Josh Onoma, uh, his contract was ended via mutual termination. So he then ended up uh, going to Preston later on in the day. And then Nathaniel Chalabar has moved to West Brom on a permanent. That's in addition to Anthony Knockart, who we all kind of didn't really remember that transfer, but he did officially leave this January to Huddersfield. Um, Peter, uh, it wasn't unexpected. Obviously, there was talk of Sander Burge. We might come on to him in a minute. Um, but as you wrote in your piece in The Athletic uh, this morning, Marco wanted a midfielder. He wanted a right back. He's got a midfielder. He's got a right back. So all in all, solid. Yeah. Yeah, solid's probably the the best way to describe it. I think the the business that Fulham have done has, has improved the squad. I think the squad's in a better place than it was at the start of the window and that's all you can ask for and I suppose we've all been looking at sort of incomings and it was only really you know sort of after the window shut that you sort of think oh, well you know they haven't lost anyone you look at the the challenges that Brighton have faced this window and how disruptive that attention can be sometimes but Fulham has sort of come through that pretty well um, and then in the two players that they have bought brought in um, Sasa Lukic comes with good pedigree and I like the look of him from what I've seen. I think we saw him during the World Cup and I was obviously looking at and covering Serbia during the tournament and was impressed with him then. And um, 
I feel like he's the right kind of addition, the right sort of profile that Fulham need in that area. We've, we've talked about needing some depth and cover for for Reed and and Pelinha, and it feels like with with Lukic, he'll be competitive with them, not just to cover. You know, you would be wanting those first team spots, so that's encouraging. And then Cedric's one that Marco Silva really wanted to sign. It's, he was first choice. Um, he's worked with him before. I think that's as much to do with the fact he can just adapt quickly, quite seamlessly, you know, Premier League experience knows how Silva likes to play football um, and should provide some good competition for, for Kenny Tete. So all in all, yeah, job done. Jack, let's talk about Sasa Lukic. Um, it was this time last week where there were kind of murmurings of it happen. We were talking about it behind the scenes on the podcast because we knew it might be there, but we didn't want to cash in our chips on that source just yet. We kind of had heard a a vague rumour. I feel a bit bad that I went to see Serbia twice in the flesh in the World Cup and I didn't notice Sasa Lukic. I guess that's maybe indicative of the kind of player he is and also that I'm a football heathen um, that just spends his whole time watching Alexander Mitrovic with loving eyes. Yeah, I mean, what else is new? Um, yeah, I, I like him a lot. I, I think it's, I think it's a good signing, and and I think you're absolutely right in that. Often, centre midfielders who do the kind of dirty work and do a lot of the hard yards, and actually, that's what he did for Serbia because a lot of the time in there, Sergej Milinkovic Savic takes the creative onus upon himself. He's been a bit more of a rounded player for Torino in the last couple of years, and kept an eye on Serie I, I like Torino. I think they're a, a, an interesting side and they have been for a little while under, under Juric. So he's a, he's a player that can do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm writing a piece for Fulhamish, which is exciting because I don't do that very often, about how wow. he fits in to the Fulham midfield using a little bit of data. And I've come to the conclusion that he is able to do a lot of things, which is probably why Marco Silva's excited about this. And there was a little bit of concern, I think, that the two midfielders have gone out in Josh Onomer and Nat Chalaber, and only one has come in. Would Fulham consider themselves lighter in the midfield areas than they would before the window? But Chalaber and Onomer have got 116 minutes between them this season in all competitions. So when you think about that, it, it does kind of scream, this is a player that I'd imagine will pick up those kind of minutes in the first month, two months that he's here. And therefore, I think the midfield rotation is better because as soon as Silver trusts a player, now, obviously, this could go wrong. But, you know, that we, could, we could have said this about Kevin and Babu before the season began. And after a couple of cameos, we go, oh, we're well stocked at right back. It became quite apparent to... Everybody, I think, that Kevin and Babu no longer featured really in, in Marco Silva's plans. And that comes on to the Cedric thing, which we'll, we'll get on to. But so, it could, you know, it might it might be the case that Sasha Lukic doesn't land, but I, I think he will. He brings a profile of player that's more similar to Harrison Reed than he is to Joao Polina, um, but he can do a job as as the lone man at the base of a pivot as well. So you, you look at that and you think, right, he can cover a number of roles. He can do a, a number of different things. He's played as a 10 before, although I don't think it gets the best out of him. So if there is moments where Andreas needs a rest, he gives you that, that option to maybe bolster things a little bit in the center of the park. Um, but he's brilliant at winning second balls. He's a little terrier in the middle. He is going to be you know a live wire I think in there someone who is able to to make things stick and generally I think he I'd hesitate to say an improvement on Harrison Reed because I think Harrison Reed has been absolutely exceptional for Fulham in pretty much the entire time he has been at the club but on paper I think he brings a little bit more to the table especially in terms of attacking thrust in a bit ability to dribble the ball and to get into opposition final thirds than maybe Harrison does from that kind of six eight hybrid role that he plays yeah peter that is my only concern with this sign not concern but i see this signing and i think wow harrison reed has been brilliant this season uh, i mean he must you, if you're harrison reed you're gonna be a bit like oh damn it uh this guy looks really good he might also just be like i could do with a rest no, no, you never think that. You're always competitive as a footballer. And I've listened to enough Peter Crouch episodes to, to realise um, what it's like when a new player comes in in your position. Harrison Reed's going to be moving a bit faster, I think, in training. But also that kind of means that Tom Kearney's um, kind of always guaranteed to come on position maybe is, is under threat as well. On one, on one hand, Peter, you could see increased competition only going to improve the squad, but also there's always an issue of squad harmony because Sasa Lukic hasn't come to Fulham to sit on the bench. 
No, but I think what helps Harrison Reed is that under Silva, he's evolved his game, hasn't he? He's he stepped up from being just that number six to being the number eight. He can do a box-to-box type role. He's good in that sort of positional system that Silva plays. We see him popping up on the right-hand side, dovetailing really neatly with whoever plays on on the wing. Um, and you know, we've said it. We said it repeat, repeatedly about what happens if Palina gets injured, or Reed gets injured, or suspended. Um, there, you, you, there was that lingering concern, and you know, when when Nat Chalaba then got sent off against Newcastle, hadn't really made a mark at all. It was, it was, it, it felt quite pressing. So it was something that had to be done. Like, as yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from, and, and understandably, you know, you want to maintain your position, but I think. Even if you're thinking a bit longer term um, into next season, we, we, it's a long. It can be a long season, um, and having that option to rotate to rest players. Harrison Reed's not exactly been, you know, had a perfect injury record either. You know, yeah, he picked up a few knocks last year, um, and we, we know that Palinia's going to get bookings. I mean, we even saw him sort of roll his ankle, didn't we, in, against Sunderland in, in in the cup? Seemed all right and played on through it. So doesn't seem like there's anything serious there, but it just shows that things can happen at, at different moments. So, um, yeah, no, I, I I think it was a move that needed to happen. I think there was a sense it needed to. And, and Jack's right about depth as well. I think the squad's still the same size. Um, but I think when you're looking at Josh Onoma's situation, um, I don't think they even thought he'd be in the squad um, after deadline day because he was, he was basically a West Brom player until it collapsed in the summer. So, um, yeah, maybe that's factored into the thinking into the thinking. And also Jack, I, I mean, a lot of it has been made of Brighton in the past few weeks because everyone suddenly realised that Brighton are a team of absolute superstars and they just seem to pluck them out of nowhere. And despite being picked off in all of these positions, they just seem to keep bringing through great players. And I think part of that secret to Brighton is the ability that they have in every transfer window, just to make a few smart pickups in the knowledge that in 12 months time, in 18 months time, another player is going to go, you've got to keep that pipeline going. And, and Sasa Lukic seems like one of those signings to me that keeps the Fulham pipeline going. Jao Polinia might be bought in the summer or next January or the summer after. And we're going to need the next Jao Polinia to step right into his shoes. That's kind of, for me, part of the genius of, of Brighton's model has always been able to stay one step ahead. And, and if Fulham keep playing like they are and, and keep performing to this level we're going to be in that situation that Brighton have been in the past two transfer windows. Yeah. I mean, look, Brighton have a very, very data centric transfer model. They back that up with some excellent scouting and some brilliant networks in parts of the world where people haven't been quite as active. I think we're starting to see that change off the back of Brexit. There are different markets which have become available. South America's become very appealing. Central America's become very appealing. These are areas where people are now starting to look and where Brighton will now have competition. So we'll see how much that model stands up when other other teams are starting to fish in the same ponds that the Brighton have been doing for a while. But you saw it, this transfer window, the noise around Caicedo. They said they weren't letting Caicedo go. Caicedo didn't go. Um, and yet they've picked up another centre midfielder out of Sweden, a youngster who is, you know, very, very highly regarded by pretty much every scouting report that I've read on him. He's a player that no one knows very much about. And Brighton do this really well. They redshirt for a year. You know, they did this with Caicedo. He was redshirted when he brought in. He sat on the bench um, to to borrow an, an NFL term. He you know, just sat around, made himself comfortable with the club, got himself into these training regimes. And then six months after they bought him, he was unleashed as Yves Basuma departed. And that's a very, very smart model if you can get it to work. So the idea that Fulham are trying to think in those kind of terms is nice. And I think you'd actually add to this, the fact that this is the first window in a while where I think Fulham haven't felt majorly panicked. And and I think that's part of the whole thing here and what we're looking at in that, we are in this window. We've signed a couple of players on deadline date. There's been no mass kind of clamor for, oh my God, we need three or four bodies in to either push us over the line or to try and survive the drop. And that's how you start to build the stability that we talk about so much that can lead you to being able to make smart transfers, not plucking random players out of the air. In Ala Bournemouth and Southampton, who for, you know, for what it's worth, I think have both had good windows. Um, but 
it's quite difficult for those players to come in and be like, right, turn it around straight away. We need you to absolutely click off the moment. Fulham don't need that right now off Sasha Lukic, off Cedric Suarez. What they need is players who are able to come in and make a difference slowly and surely and look to the long term. And I think that's a really nice place for Fulham to be in. Yeah, Peter, let's come on to Cedric Suarez. Obviously, we talked a lot about him um, last week. This feels like a transfer that we've known is going to happen before January. It felt like it was pretty cut and dry. It still uh, took Fulham till past midnight to um, announce him. But I'm guessing, Peter, the problem was not whether Cedric Suarez wanted to come to Fulham or getting his contract over line. It was simply trying to agree the deal with Duffy that allowed the space for Suarez to come in. Or do you think there were other complications as well that that held it up? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it was quite obvious for a while that Cedric Suarez was Marcus Silva's first choice. He was the club's first choice. Um, basically to provide that insurance option at right back, which clearly Silva doesn't think is being offered by Kevin and Babu. Um, and yeah, I, as you say, there was no, there was never a sense that Cedric didn't want to join or um, that, you know, there, there were other players above him in the sort of pecking order of choice. There were just complicating factors with it. Um, at the start, of course, there was also the fact that Arsenal were a little bit reticent to let him go st- immediately because while he wasn't playing they still needed cover there was also Cedric's salary which I think is on the high side and you know they're full more reluctant to to cover that in its entirety and then there was just the simple fact that you can't have more than two Premier League loans that's loans two loans from other Premier League clubs which Fulham already have in Dan James and Shane Duffy um and of the two you know, Dan James is pretty much a non-starter. I mean, that was not one they were going to make permanent. I don't like Leeds weren't going to take him back either. And I think as Silver outlined last week, he didn't want to lose either of those two players. So if either of them were going to be made permanent, it was going to be uh, Shane Duffy. And um, I don't think it was an overly complicated thing to do. It was just about whether they do it or not, whether there's another way of of moving the transfer forward. And, but when you factor in that, the salary concerns, you know, it, it wasn't certain, like it wasn't certain it was going to happen um, to the point where, you know, Fulham were looking at other targets as, as it's been outlined. There was uh, Mil- Milan van Ivak. Evike? Evike, yeah. It just feels Evike. like it uh, feels like it's just too close to Van Dyke, doesn't it? Van Evike. It does. It does. It does mix. <laughs> um, uh, he was reportedly a target. Um, and then on deadline day, they were talking to Joshua Brennett at 20, who's a 28-year-old fullback. Um, more just to sound him out, really, uh, about whether it was possible to, to do a deal because if Cedric had fallen through, then they wouldn't have got their, their right back. Um, and I know, I know there was a lot of talk about the deal being done and everything. And I think that was more a case of just being like the, the, there was agreement there, but it was not signed off. You know, Fulham still had their reservations and of course the, the loan issue. Um, but once, once they got that breakthrough um, with the deal, um, they were able to turn to Brighton and ask to, to make that move permanent, which they did with, with Duffy, essentially just seeing out his loan as a permanent deal. I don't think there's anything materially that different from what he was on at either Brighton or uh, at Fulham. So um, in the end, it's it's something that, that suits all parties. And, and Fulham did get the target. They got their man. And um, it, he does arrive, I think, with that Willian sense, you know, that feeling of like there's that sort of reservations because he hasn't played and uh, he's been out of the picture a little bit and his, his stock's sort of fallen, I suppose, since those days at Southampton, which when he first joined and, and sporting. Um, but, you know, I think that's taped by the fact that Silva clearly wanted him, has worked with him before. And as we talked about earlier in the podcast, he knows how the start of play, he's a Premier League player. Um, the adaptation time is quick and you want that in January. Otherwise, there's, you know, if you want a temporary transfer, you don't want someone adapting for four months. You need them to hit the ground running. Plug, um, and, plug and play, plug and play. Plug plug and play. And that's that's what he he's able to do. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, it's not straightforward that he goes straight into the team either because Kenny Tete has been brilliant. Um, so uh, yeah, be interesting to see how he does. The one-on-one king, Kenny Tete. You cannot beat him. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to uh, to see that battle. As uh, I mean, it feels a bit like the Nico Williams transfer last year, Jack, where it's just like we've got someone coming in at right back, good te- Kenny Tete cover, um, and will slot in and do a great job, almost no doubt, really 
for, for, for Fulham. Yeah, I mean, Cedric can play left back as well, which I imagine is potentially something that, that Fulham are interested in, considering Kazar has not had the easiest time of it and was torn apart, to be perfectly honest with you, in that Sunderland game. Now, whether that's something that's come into Silver's thoughts or not, I don't know, but I think it's just a nice element to have that versatility if Fulham need to to strep up in that position or, or if something happens to Anthony Robinson. So, yeah, generally, I, I think it's a, it's a good signing. I'm, I'm less, I don't think it's quite as panned as maybe the Willian one was in, in some ways. I think that there's more recent evidence that Cedric has been perfectly able in Europa League games, in, you know, games in, in the Premier League even, and he's more than capable of, of deputising. The question is going to be if he's come in to be a deputy or he's come in with the you know, the intention of taking Kenny Taylor's shirt. And as you said, obviously all players want to play Sammy. So there is obviously that element to it. But equally, Silver has brought him in. He knows he's, he'll know he's going to be coming in behind the defender who's currently you know rated as one of the best in Europe or you know top in Europe's top five leagues. That's a big ask for anyone to come in and overhaul that. But I also think that there are times where it just feels like Kenny Tete probably needs a rest. And, and and I think that this is probably good in that regard. Yeah, it feels like um, two very solid signings. Um, one signing that everyone got very excited about, including me. Um, I was hoping it for a, a, a little birthday treat for myself. Santa Verge from Sheffield United, a player that I've always really liked, Peter. And um, it felt like for about a day that this might happen uh, for Fulham. Newcastle also swirling about. Um, but in the end, nothing came of it. But it felt like there was a very real interest born out of the situation that Sheffield United have because of their transfer embargo. Yeah, so they, I, I believe it's due to cash flow issues, um, which has put them under an embargo. Um, and, you know, the way out of that is to, is to sell somebody. And we saw, particularly when Burge, Berger was not in the squad at Wrexham in the FA Cup, Paul Heckingbottom confirmed the fact, the reason why that it was to do with the potential departure. And yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't off the table. He was it was it was one of the targets. There were there were discussions. I don't think Newcastle were really in for him. Um, but then I think Sheffield United came to the conclusion that you know they're better off holding fire until the summer to get their promotion over the line. Their owner stepped in and said, "We're not going to." countenance any bid so it didn't really advance very far at all and he he trained on on deadline day as normal at Sheffield United and uh from that point there was it wasn't gonna gonna happen but yeah he was he was one on the radar it was it would have taken a, a sizable sum to to have taken him I'm sure it would have been structured in a way that in the way that Fulham liked to do them which is a bit more staggered with FFP in mind but um yeah wasn't one that they were ultimately able to do um, there were a few that they looked at during the window. You know, there was Andre at Fluminense, who I think looks a really intriguing player, um, a young player, 21. The Brazilian club don't want to let him go. They did make an offer, but um, maybe that's one they'll look at again in the summer. Um, and then also Abdullah Decore, I believe, was actually first choice. And I think that's probably because of the same scenario as Cedric. You can come in, do a job straight away. Um, work with Silver before, same same scenario. Um, however, the situation at Everton changed, didn't it? I mean, in terms of Frank Lampard leaving and Sean Dyche coming in. So, whereas before Decore was out of the picture, he, he may well be back in it now. So, um, that's that's sort of a brief context to uh, to how we ended up with Lukic. Yeah, I just add to that that you know, from what I've heard, and I imagine it's far less than Peter that Fulham were a little bit concerned with Sander Berger's injury record um, for that kind of fee. So you you look at that and you think, and you actually do look at his injury record, and it makes plenty of sense. And I'm with you, Sammy, in that I really like Sander Berger. I think he's a really good player, and in terms of where he fits within the dynamics of that midfield, I think he would have been a nice addition alongside Lukic because I do think he gives you a little bit more of that aerial presence and power. He's more attack-minded than Schwarzenegger is, but he definitely gives you a little bit of that kind of physicality in the middle that that Fulham maybe would lack without Polinia. So I thought it was nice cover in that regard. But generally, you do look at that injury record. You look at you know the the fact that he was going to cost 20 million odd, which is more than Polinia was. And considering those concerns, I can see why there might have been some some noses turned up at, at that and, and why it might not have quite got to the stage that we thought it did. 
Just thought we should have a word on uh, Onoma and Chalaba. Uh, Onoma went to Preston um, via a, a contract termination and then uh, Chalaba joined West Brom. Um, Jack, for, for Josh Onoma, his, his Fulham highlight will always be that night in Cardiff during lockdown. What a... What a travesty that no fans were in uh, attendance at the Cardiff City Stadium that night to see just one of the most majestic goals and probably one of my favourite moments of the whole kind of lockdown period. Yes, of course, Brian at Wembley against Brentford was magic, but that goal was just something else. And um, he's a player, Josh, that never quite worked for him. He had his moments, um, but yeah, that was the undoubted highlight of his time and he'll always be known as Maradona to us. Yeah, I mean, it's just a sensational goal, isn't it? It's one of those that you look back at and be like, that is ridiculous. And I think it's described on the commentary at the time as a masterpiece from the paintbrush of Josh Onoma. And I thought I yes. described it absolutely perfectly. He also scored a really important goal against Leeds that season yeah. uh, in, a, in a moment where it looked like we were sliding out of the playoff picture. It, you know, we, we got a really important win against Leeds that was Onoma's intent in the box that actually made made that happen. And I remember, this is one that maybe goes a little bit under the radar, that will always be known as the Joe Bryan final. But Josh Onoma was excellent, really, really excellent in the playoff final against Brentford. Uh, a player who I thought was, was pretty sensational across the course of that game. Uh, and genuinely towards the latter half of that season, his impact was incredible. It will always be topped off by that Cardiff goal. You're absolutely right. Um, but a player who I think always put a shift in, who always tried to make things happen, who always looked attack-minded. Um, and, and maybe that was to his detriment at times in the midfield that he was playing in. Um, but I, I wish him all the best. I genuinely really, really like Josh Onomer and, and I, I hope that he does, he does really well at Preston because it's a nice place for him to end up. And Peter, for, for Nat Chalaba, his career never really got started. It was that kind of strange um, double Watford signing that happened on the final day of the August transfer window in 2021. Domingos Kina, um, by the way, ended Domingos up at, he ended up at Rotherham yesterday. So uh, there you go. Did he? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, as, uh, the nomadic career of Domingos Kina. Um, for Nat Chalabert, I think last season he played a few games and it will always be overlooked maybe by the way it ended. I think he played a few games for Fulham where he was absolutely crucial. The one that stands out to me was his performance at Middlesbrough away. Battling performance with Harrison Reed, a really tough game, a game that for me won Fulham the championship that, that night. And he played a role for us last year. But I think when we got promoted, that maybe spelt the end because he was, well... It's debatable whether he really is Premier League quality. And then the way that that cameo against Newcastle ended, it was kind of, I think, Silver lost all trust in him, sadly. But a good pro. And, and, and I think it'd be a great move for, for a West Brom team that are flying under Corbran. Yeah, I, it, it never really got started. I do agree about Middlesbrough. I think that was probably his best performance. Birmingham in the Cup, thinking- maybe. I was just literally just about to say, like I was thinking back to to when he signed, and I think his first start was um, in the league with Birmingham away. Um, yes, he's very good. He assisted he got two, Harry Wilson, didn't he? Yeah, he got two assists in that game, and I, he was pretty dominant in in, in central midfield. Um, it looked really encouraging. I think he started those first two games, maybe not Blackpool, but then Birmingham and Reading, if I remember rightly, which was a defeat actually. Um, but then he got injured. Um, then had quite a the sizable period on the sidelines and and to be honest that that midfield trio of of Reed and um Seri um and Carvalho of course was it was very very difficult to to break into and he did offer that a sort of an alternative that Fulham probably didn't really need as much um yeah. in the end uh so yeah never never really I mean he played a role last year in the championship helped Fulham win the league and and that's another promotion for him under his belt um this season it he had his. Ch- I think his chance was Newcastle. That was his sliding doors moment. And I, as I said at the time, I always felt that he was just so pumped up for that game that he ended up flying into that tackle. And I think that was <laughs> that was about about it really, as him as a, a, a an option that would be comfortable covering for for Palinia. So um, I think he's a good fit for West Brom, and I'm sure he'll he'll lift them. And I think he just needs to play consistently. You know, it's like with any player, you can play consistently, get build that confidence, and, and maybe he can get back to the levels he had at. 
more uh, close to the start of it, start of his career. So um, yeah, didn't work out, but certainly worked out a bit better than Domingos Kina did anyway. <laughs> I would just just add that maybe one of the most important roles, and this isn't this isn't a particularly nice thing to say, but I'm I'm going to say it anyway. He basically paved the way for the Reed Polinia partnership this way this year, and the the way that Harrison Reed adapted his game from that six to the eight. And I think that obviously last year when Fulham were absolutely cooking, it was really easy to be like, I want Reed and Seri all the time because it's so much fun. But you have Harrison Reed in those two as, you know, the, the deepest player defensively, if maybe not offensively. And actually the reason I think Chalobah played at the end of last season so much was to try and prepare Harrison Reed for this new role that he was going to have in the in the Premiership, or the Premier League, I should say, um, where he actually had a a very kind of different role to what he did last year at the base. Uh, and instead of being the number six, Harrison Reed was was required to get forward a little bit more to kind of snap into challenges. And Chalaber, I think, paved the way for Panini to come in and Reed to be very, very comfortable with that. So maybe it's not that nice to say, you know, a dummy run was was one of the highlights of a, a, of his career at Fulham. But I do think it was important in Fulham moving forward. Uh, right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Friday's SW6 Derby at the Bridge. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter on the Thursday Club. Thanks to everyone who continues to support Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community, uh, which just helps us uh, keep running, helps fund all our podcasts, our articles, our videos. Uh, If you'd like to support the work we do here on Fulhamish, if you listen or watch regularly and get a lot of out of it, um, we'd really, really appreciate it if you can back us monthly. Uh, You can find the link in the description of this podcast or on the Fulhamish website. It allows us to keep everything free. Uh, which means that if you can't afford to or don't want to pay, then that's absolutely fine. But uh, if you can and are able to, uh, then we'd hugely, hugely appreciate that. As I said, link in the description or on the website. Um, Just before we come on to previewing uh, Friday's derby, um, the date for the Sunderland replay has been announced. Uh, It's going to be next Wednesday. Uh, I think that's the 8th of February uh, up in the Northeast. Um, It's live on uh, BBC One. Uh, Jack, that is a a difficult journey at um, at, at short notice. And um, I know that our our very own Don Betts was very upset because the the train tickets were very cheap on the Tuesday and suddenly quite expensive on the Wednesday. Um, But... Fifteen pound tickets. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not an easy one, is it? Let's 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 be honest. No, I mean, I said it before the the first leg that I really hoped that this was it would have been a away day. I think it would have been a great weekender uh, up in Sunderland. So it's it's less appealing, would you say, on a Wednesday night? But um, it, it, it's also it's doable, which I suppose is, is people will be grateful for. Um, and I, I think that. You know, there's with, with Leeds in the next round, a home tie against Leeds as the reward, and that place off, you know, and a kind of spot in the quarters up for grabs. It feels like a, it feels like a, a, a game that Fulham are now going to look at and be like, right, we should probably hit this relatively hard. Whereas if that draw had been Man City away, then I think maybe Silver would have probably sent a slightly weaker side up to play Sunderland. So we'll see. Um, but, I, you know, it's a winnable one. Uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant stadium. And I do love the northeast of England. So, you know, here we are. Yeah. Um, Peter Silver probably won't be happy with that scheduling. He's not a fan of the, uh, well, I mean, no manager is, but Silver's definitely made um, his feelings known. He, he was unhappy with the Chelsea to Newcastle scheduling. So the fact that this is now on a Wednesday before Forest on the Saturday, um, when it didn't have to be, it's only because it's on BBC One that it is uh, delayed. Uh, so I imagine he'll be a little bit upset about the t- short turnaround between that game and then the Nottingham Forest a few days later. 
Probably, probably not as much as the the Chelsea one. The Chelsea one was because it was on a Thursday, wasn't it? Like there's was no, I don't think there was a particular reason it had to be on a Thursday as opposed to a Tuesday, TV, Wednesday. TV again, wasn't it really? Well, it was, it was for TV, but again, like there was, you know, on it being a Thursday is a bit different to it being a Tuesday, Wednesday, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, them's them's them, that, that's the game, isn't it? That's them's the, the breaks. This one, I mean. Them's the breaks. Those the football matches that you have to play. I enjoyed the uh, date of the uh, game um, being leaked because uh, EastEnders did a press release um, about how EastEnders has got to be moved for Fulham Sunderland. <laughs> and that was how it first got out. I saw someone post it on the, uh, on the Fulham community. I was like, wow, okay. That's not the kind of leak I was expecting no. uh, on transfer deadline day was um, EastEnders breaking some news. Can't um, say I'm on the uh, EastEnders uh, press list, unfortunately. No, so me neither. Get on it, Peter. You know, you'll, <laughs> you'll get some great, you'll get some great little tidbits in there. Right. Let's look ahead to Friday's match, Jack. It feels really weird that we're playing that lot up the road. So soon after we uh, played them um, in the home game, obviously we know the reasons why it was because the home game was rearranged. Um, I don't know why, but this feels very different to the home game. The home game I was borderline expecting to win. I don't know. It was the whole, it was, it was all falling apart at the bridge. Um, now they've obviously made some new signings. We don't know whether they're going to be involved in the matchday squads. Uh, we know that Jao Felix will I still be out, but they have brought in will be involved in the matchday squad. <laughs> like, he don't sign a okay. player for £120 million midweek and then be like, no, we might give him a breather on Friday. Like, absolutely no chance. Okay. Okay, well, then we've got the most expensive player in the world to face um, on Friday. So, yeah, this match feels a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of telling that since we played them last, Chelsea have dropped, what, like 400 million to try and beat us. It's nice, cute in some ways. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do respect their, you know, their absolute desire to win the SWC Derby. That is quite some statement from Todbo and the lads. Um, but yeah, it's... It's not going to be easy. I mean, it wasn't easy the first time around. And they've had a week off, you know, with, with no FA Cup to, to contend with. They've had a bit of a break. They'll have tried to integrate a few of these new signings in the squad. We saw flashes of what Mudrick can do. Uh, when I know Enzo is a, is a very good player. I'm just hoping that he has a Joao Felix-esque debut and decides that he wants to uh, to really carve his name in Stamford Bridge history and get himself please, sent off on please. his debut. Um, please. Look, they, they will be improving towards the end of this season. It might be a quite nice time to play them in some ways where they're still just starting to gel as a unit. They're still trying to work out exactly where everybody fits. It, it might work in Fulham's favour, but I completely agree with you that the expectancy levels, the the levels of kind of I reckon we could do this are a little bit lower than they were the last time, but I go back to it every time. Fulham have been competitive with pretty much every single game in this Premier League season, Newcastle at home aside, and for reasons that we've discussed previously on this podcast. Um, But apart from that, there have been no one, I don't think, that's absolutely hammered Fulham pillar to post. And if you can stay in games, Chelsea don't take their chances because they haven't been of late. Uh, and we can we can kind of hit them with a couple of counter blows. I think there is always a chance here that Fulham, you know, can can cause a shock result and can do that double for the first time ever, as you say. It was unlikely we beat them the first time. I think it's slightly more unlikely that we do the second time. But again, I just have faith that this Fulham team are going to go out and perform, that they understand what's necessary of them in order to make a difference. And yeah, why not? You know, Mitrovic is, is, is going to be back here. He's got a, a new mate in the camp. He's had a few games where he hasn't scored a goal. I just have a feeling that he might stand up and be counted against Chelsea on Friday night. Yeah, well, he'd have been gutted to miss the uh, the home leg, wouldn't he? So hopefully he uh, he steps it up. I mean, Peter, I don't want to go on too much about them, but bloody hell, to spend 330 million euros, 290 million pounds in a January transfer window that I do respect is slightly different because of the timing of the World Cup. It was always going to be a bit more inflated than usual is just insane. Enzo Fernandez, um, over a hundred million pounds, record transfer fee. Um, Mudrik from Shakhtar um, on his eight-year contract, Badashile, Madweke, Gusto, all of these players. Yao Felix, obviously, on the most expensive loan ever. It's incredible the amount of money that's being spent. And 
I'm I'm just hoping, obviously, with my Fulham hat on, that it all goes up in flames. I don't know. Part of me does think, though, if you just spend sheer amounts of money like that, eventually some of these players or this team will have to come good because you can't just keep buying the best players in the world, which is effectively what they've done this window and and not eventually get somewhere. But I mean, it still seems like just organised chaos what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it is a team sport at the end of the day and you've got, they've got to build a team out of those individuals. Um, I, the, 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 the sheer quality of player that they're signing is, you know, real high level. We saw that with Felix at, uh, at, at Craven Cottage when Chelsea visited because before the red card, he was almost unplayable. Um, and he'd been, what, there two days or something silly? Like, um, now, not every player is going to adapt like that. The Premier League is quite unique in that sense. Um, but yeah, if you're going to spend that kind of money, then it's going to improve the quality of the team. That said, that said, you know, like it's not an automatic pass to winning a team sport. You know, they've got to they've got to blend them together. They've got to build an identity. They're going to have to try and make it work. Chelsea have made it work in the past. You know, they, that's something that they've built their success around. Really, is 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 moulding together some high quality players. Um, brought in from from window to window often. So um, I'm sure they will. I think Jack might be right in that this is probably the best time to face a Chelsea side with these kind of players now um, before they really get to get things going. It may take a bit of time for them. Um, but I mean, the, the outlay is ridiculous really, isn't it? Um, there was a stat flying around last night that they spent more than everyone in the top five leagues outside the Premier League put together in a window in this window um by some distance as well like not 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 like yeah. it's not close they're very close if i'm not mistaken to outspending everybody including the premier league that isn't them which is pretty nuts this yeah it's extraordinary really um i was i was wondering have fulham ever spent 290 million as in like completely in our history yeah yeah we have have we spent that amount of money yeah it, i yeah. mean yes we spent possibly in the last five in years. one window. Yeah, what are you on about? <laughs> you absolute lunatic. Like, I think Dan Cook put in the Fulhamish group chat earlier, Fulham have spent £566 million since the turn of the century. So there you go. Okay, well, I'm yeah. not miles off. No, not much. They've done that in a January transfer window. They've done over. They've done over half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that yeah. in the two transfer windows we've just seen, they must be near on that. So you're looking at it and thinking, right, this is a ridiculous outlay. I will add one thing. Um, obviously, Dennis Zachariah is out to the middle of February, we believe. N'Golo Kante is still out long term. Enzo Fernandez is going to slit slot into this midfield alongside you'd imagine Mateo Kovacic. I don't think that's the most solid midfield in the world. I also think there's an element of it that you can power through it. I think Polinho is going to absolutely dominate that midfield in the air. And so, therefore, when, when you look at kind of ways that Fulham can win this, that I think Enzo is going to be a really good player, but I think he's best. He's had Florentino Luis playing alongside him all season at Benfica, who does a lot of the kind of mopping up and allows Enzo to get into the areas that he wants to attack. Without that, I do wonder if he's quite as effective and without someone who's naturally kind of going to play there as a kind of sweepy up number six or who's going to put out fires around him, I think there is an opportunity to get at that midfield and that they might leave gaps where both of those players, Kovacic and Enzo Fernandez, want to get forward. And if Andreas Pereira can exploit those gaps, then Fulham have, will, will create and carve out opportunities in this game because I still think there are major defensive weaknesses where Chelsea haven't covered all of the bases in this in this window yet. What I would also say is that Chelsea have a target on their back now. And I mean, if you're Fulham going into that game and you're playing against a team with that kind of investment, also it's a big game anyway, but blooming hell, you know, go in there having spent about 8 million in the window and to beat a team that spent 350 or whatever crazy figure it is, it, that that's another incentive in itself. So uh, my God, would that be something if if, they, if room can win it make them a meme yeah honestly it, and it, it would be quite an iconic result really also jack the fact that we've never done the double over chelsea it, it feels like a huge opportunity and i'm feeling more a bit more confident which is uh quite nice um coming out of this it's probably dangerous but <laughs> it, it would just be so special wouldn't it yeah. to go to the bridge and, and and get anything to be honest a point three points it would be so special to at least not lose to them once in a season um, 
And I've always thought as well, the day that Fulham can maybe go to the bridge and get a result is the day that they might, might just wake up a little bit because that's then suddenly if, 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 if Fulham are doing the double over you, then I'm not saying that they're going to add, add us to the top of their list of rivals, but it might just open their eyes to their little brother down the road. Yeah. I, I also think it's one of those where obviously we saw back in the day, QPR get that famous one nil result where Sean Wright Phillips scored for them. Last year, we saw Brentford go to the bridge and absolutely demolish Chelsea. For us to have this big blip in here where we just haven't won at the bridge for so long, it's just something that would be lovely to get off the back. And I think you're probably right uh, in that it's like, ah, can we just, can we just in this opportunity, in this one moment before they go on, spend another hundred billion next next summer and keep kind of strengthening this squad they are going to return to the top of the table eventually if they continue throwing this kind of money at it i don't think it's necessarily right now because that i, I think that the, the spend at the moment is a little bit all over the place but they will if they're going to continue this kind of investment return to the top table and this feels as good an opportunity as ever for fulham to kind of rub the noses in the dirt and just get the boot off our own back for a little while i um i can't go on friday and i am um... I'm, I'm a little bit. You can I'm, feel the pain in your voice. <laughs> I'm on a stag do in Budapest. I don't know what my condition is going to be like on on Friday night. It's a three night stag in Budapest. Um, I have um, told the stag organizer that I'm not getting involved in anything that happens on Friday night. I will find a bar in Budapest that is showing Chelsea versus Fulham. You'll I don't care. Right. What do you, do you think? I find one. Yeah. If we've got any any Fulham fans in Budapest or who know where a good bar is to watch it, I mean, uh, let me know. As, as you say, Jack, it'll probably just be on everywhere, but um, we shall see. But uh, look, I'd, I, I would love nothing more than to be uh, watching on the telly, watching new boys just out seeing the bridge, as we always do when we go there as well. You can make such a good noise from the shed end. Um, it's going to be incredible on Friday, especially if we, uh, if we get another famous result against that lot. Uh, just from a Fulham perspective, we haven't massively discussed it. Um, lineups, um, changes. Uh, I mean, the squad's pretty settled right now. I guess maybe the only debate is who plays on the wing, Jack? Yeah. Basically that, um, but I think you you start William again, considering his performance against them last time out, um, and you let him have a go again at that at that right back spot, and just see if he can cause the kind of carnage that he did last time. Mitrovic starts ahead of Vinicius from the reverse fixture. Apart from that, I'd say it's probably more of the same. Uh, I, I don't I don't really see why you'd make all that many changes. Bobby Reed was given a full rest in the Sunderland game. I think he comes back into the starting eleven here. Um, and, and I think you utilise Mana Solomon's explosivity off the bench. I know there's been some calls for him to start and I thought he was excellent against Sunderland, but I wouldn't be throwing him into this one headlong. Uh, I would be using that off the bench if Fulham need to make a breakthrough. So we'll see. But that that's how I'd go. And yeah, Peter, I guess Diop and Tosin is still the age-old debate. No one exactly knows who's going to start in each one. Tosin started against Chelsea in the home game, so I guess he might be the favourite to get to get the nod. Neither impressed massively against Sunderland. No, you're right. Um, I, th- I imagine it'll, he'll stick with, with Diop and, and Reem potentially, unless he wants to exploit the same tactical things that he saw in that reverse fixture with, with Tosin and his ability to switch the play and get the ball out to, to William as quickly as possible. Um but yeah, I, I, it seems like Diop and Reem has become a bit more of the the the, the go to partnership. Obviously, Diop had that mistake against Sunderland, but um, I, I I think I saw it on Twitter. But it seems like uh, maybe it was on the Fulhamish account actually. You know, Diop in the cup versus Diop in the league. Um, yeah, there's a there's been a, felt a bit hard. I, I felt a bit harsh posting it. I mean, it was kind of done out of the love for how good he's been in the league rather than um, his performance in the cup. Like, I mean. I think everyone just had a bit of a stinker against a very energetic um, Sunderland team. But yeah, you do wonder if uh, Diop's just like, oh, nah, I'm all about the Premier League. Don't, don't, I don't need this FA Cup malarkey. Um, anyway, when he, when, he, when he scores the winning goal at Wembley to win as the FA Cup, maybe he can uh, reverse that, uh, that trend. But yeah, we'll see what happens on Friday. Uh, it's live on Sky if, you, uh, if you're not making the game. If you're going though, have the best time ever and let's pray for uh, a famous, famous result. Right, we'll take another break there afterwards. We've got some emails and then this will catch on. 
part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy with Jack and Peter. Uh, Jack said something in the break that just uh, gave me the chills. Um, no, no pun, pun intended. intended. Um, you think maybe Reese James and Ben Chilwell might be back? Is that true? Yeah. I hadn't heard anything about that. They're both returned to training ahead of the Liverpool game, were deemed not fit enough to play in that Liverpool game. I I got a horrible feeling, a horrible feeling that we might see that wing back pairing back again, which uh, has also put a dampener on my own spirit. So uh, let's hope that they don't. Or let's hope that if they do, we run at them really fast to begin with uh, and and try and try and (laughs) aggravate those injuries again. Um, Yeah. Uh, that that has slightly um, dampened deflated the mood, the mood um, yeah let's go on to the emails uh first one uh related to uh this weekend's game from bradley westendorf says hello fulhamish i have a question for the pod that i think will stir up some debate about the second leg against some local rivals would you rather take uh, a win over chelsea or a win over Brentford. Uh, Bradley's a long-time listener from the States. Thank you for all that you do. You've been instrumental in my ability to stay well-informed on everything that's happening in SW6. Thanks, and keep up the excellent work. Uh, Jack? I've always said with derbies that the game I'd most like to win is Chelsea, and the game I'd least like to lose is Brentford. And that's that's where I'm sticking to. It's, it's one of those ones where if you don't get points against Chelsea, it kind of is a bit like run of the mill whereas if i don't if we don't if i if we don't get points against brentford i will never hear the bloody end of it um i live in ealing there's a lot of brentford fans around who i'm pretty sure used to support man united or or arsenal about two seasons ago um so that's new but generally yeah the game i'd most like to win is chelsea the game i'd least like to lose is brentford yeah i uh i agree i think i would take the win over chelsea Losing against Brentford this season, it's like, well, we beat you in the other game. It's kind of whatever. You're a good team. Like, it might happen. It might not. Would I love to go there and get a win and then shine a new stadium? Yes, of course. But a win over Chelsea would be historic. And a win over Brentford would just be another win over Brentford. Like, great, but not like anything, I think, particularly to write home about. But if we could avoid losing that game, it would be uh, ideal. Uh, Next email um, related to next weekend's Sunderland game from David Smith, which uh, this David has clarified is not the David Smith who lives in Paris, who emailed the other week. Um, Very confusing. We've had two different David Smiths email us in the space of a couple of weeks. Double names in the Fulham fan base are excellent. We have loads of them. Well, there's another Jack Collins, isn't there? And another Sammy James. Yes. Yeah. Is there another Peter Rutzler? Have we come across one of those? I haven't met another. I've never met another met Peter Rutzler. I've never, met another, I've never met another Rutzler. I've met two. My granddad's got the same name. <laughs> well, yeah, so, I, I imagined in your family there might be another yeah. Rutzler. But I'm not surprised that you've met one. <laughs> no, Peter Rutzler, not just Rutzler. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, why would it just be my granddad and no one else? <laughs> You are nuts, Sammy, at times. <laughs> you really are. Um, no, I have never oh. I've never met another Peter Rutzler. I've met two other Rutzlers, but they are the other members of Peter's family, so that's a bit different. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count either. Yeah, no. I've never come across the name Rutzler. It's quite, a, it's quite a unique surname. Anyway, David Smith says, Hi, Sammy. I'm emailing to strongly disagree with the stance that was taken on Monday's pod about the lineup for the replay versus Sunderland. Of course, I think we do need to aim to go as far in the cup as possible, but I think it would be a bad move to play the strongest lineup. If anything, I see it as a good thing that a lot of players are getting another game in. If first team players are injured or suspended, we need whoever comes in to be match fit with competitive games under their belts. If they get parachuted in at the last minute, having not played for months, they're much less likely to perform. These players are in the squad because they are seen to be of a high enough standard to perform in the Premier League, so we should be giving them the opportunity to prove themselves. Also, with the game against Chelsea only four days before, Mitro et al. are unlikely to be at their best anyway. The same applies to the hopeful fifth round match three days after a match versus Wolves. And thanks from David. And then he goes on to clarify that it's not the same David. I disagree with David. And I think we should be playing the strongest lineup possible for that Sunderland game because I think a cup run is hugely important. Um, But I know, Jack, that we kind of debated it last week, really, whether you think that we should be blooding in these kind of players. Yeah, I completely agree with David. Um, I, I, yeah, I think there's, I a, there's a balance to be struck in that it shouldn't be Fulham sending the under 18s. But uh, I do think these are opportunities for you to go, right, Sasha Lukic, Cedric Suarez, what have you got? 
you know, these are opportunities to go, Carlos Vinicius, we might need you again if, if Mitrovic gets goes down injured or, or something happens. You know, I, I need to see that from you. I, I, I think that it's important to get these games under players' belts. Yes, Kazal was dreadful in the first leg of this. Would I go again with Kazal? Yeah, I would, yeah. Because I think he needs game time to improve. And I think there's an opportunity for, you know, just sign Shane Duffy on a permanent, yes, at the end of the season. Give him a run. You know, these are the games where if you want to need players to come in and make a difference, then you need to be able to rely on them in games like this against lower league opposition. Yes, it's a cup tie that we can win. Um, but these are players that should be able to do the business at Sunderland nonetheless. And I, th- I think it's important for pretty much everyone that there is quite a lot of rotation because one, it increases competition for places in the squad. And two, you, you go to that and you go, right, you know, prove to me that you should, you are deserving of a first team place. Or you want players scrapping for their lives to be in the first team. You want everyone to perform at the level that Mana Solomon did in that game to be like, hang on, I want to play and I want to play in the Premier League. And, and so that's why I completely agree with David. I think it's really, really important that you get players who are looking to make their mark and want to be included in these first team squads in the Premier League in the big games. Can Lukic and Suarez play in the replay? Don't see why not. Uh, Cedric might be cup-tied, is the only thing. This is going to be a bit similar to last week where I started speculating around the rules um, of European qualification. I got it absolutely wrong. You cannot qualify for Europe in eighth and uh, probably important to to caveat that. Um, But I just, I thought there might have been some semblance of a rule that if you weren't registered for the first time around, you can't then play in the replay. Might be one for Peter to uh, to, to find out. I just tried to look at the rules of the FA Cup, but it's a 33-page document and um, it's not easy to find at the drop of a hat. I don't but, think uh, I don't anyway. think that's the case off the top of my head, but um, Cedric might be cup-tied. So, yeah. Uh, right, let's um, just read this email out. I really enjoyed this one from uh, Chris Desbro. Uh, he said, hi, Sammy and the team. Hope you are well. Love the pod. And I've been meaning to message you for a while about the term Fulhamish, as it always gets me thinking. The term Fulhamish will bring thoughts of missed penalties, last minute losers, um, and Risa getting on the wrong plane to Liverpool. But these are things fans of other clubs talk as well. Though there is one story that sums up the term Fulhamish to me that I believe no other team can come close to and would love you to read it out on the pod, mainly as I believe younger fans like yourselves are not aware of it and many older fans may have forgotten. Let me take you back to the mid-90s. Fulham were a very bad struggling team at the bottom of Division 2. 1996 brought a new manager in Mickey Adams, which gave a little bit of hope on the pitch. There was also things happening off the pitch. The then-chairman Jimmy Hill, after campaigning for years, managed to talk the Football League into swapping goal difference for goals scored as he believed it would promote more attacking football. The season begins and us Fulham fans were in for a delight. One of the best seasons ever brought goals galore, big wins under the lights against Cambridge and Swansea and an away win at Carlisle, which is up there with the best games in the club's history. The season was to ultimately end in success and for a club with a bare trophy cabin, a well-owned trophy. Hang on though, as I'm sure you know what's coming. After a hard-fought battle with Wigan all season, the two teams finished level on 87 points with Fulham pipping Wigan with a better goal difference. But thanks to Fulham's chairman, Wigan's better goals for them won the title. (laughs) Also to kick us in the shorts and curlies, the Football League decided they hadn't liked the change and then changed it back to goal difference the very next season. So for one season, thanks to the Fulham chairman, goal difference was changed for goals scored and Fulham lost out on a title thanks to the rule change this to me is Fulhamish <laughs> keep up the good work from Chris that is excellent that is absolutely I did know I did know that story but yeah I think he is right because there's lots of things I think that people say is yeah people Fulhamish, say Spursy people a lot got, don't they and there are things that happen to me that aren't that particular to Fulham I always see when we miss a penalty or something like that when Mitra double kicked it against Newcastle people are like, oh that's Fulhamish I'm like it well, is a bit it does that happen doesn't to- happen very rare they're very often does it no, no. And, but still I think a story like that defines oh yeah completely Fulham. agree completely Just- agree that is amazing that is incredible um, it's one from one from the annals from you know before I was sentient should we say but it's um, yeah. it's a cracking story nonetheless um, Peter, were you aware of the uh, that that change, the the one season change that cost Fulham the title? I actually was, yeah. Um, which is, and I, and I like that as a definition. That probably should be used as a definition for Fulham. Put it on the about page um, of the website. Although, 
Yeah, although I think I, I still like penalties in general should also fit the criteria for the mission at the moment. Maybe it's maybe there is a you know there's got to be a constant theme around it, isn't there? Things can fit into it, but that that's probably yeah. like up there as the gold standard. Yeah. I, I just sometimes the words used, I'm like, well, that does happen to other clubs. But yeah, something like that story really does just feel like uniquely full of just uniquely weird and batshit. Um, and um, yeah, Chris, thank you so much for your email. Let's do a couple of this or catch ons uh, before we finish. Not going to be so many today, um, but uh, we've still got loads in the inbox. Hello at fullamish.co.uk if you want to send them in. Uh, we are getting through them slowly. Uh, this first one is from George Garnham. He says, Hey chaps, I'm a long time listener of the pod based in Australia, but grew up in Southwest London and was a season ticket holder for a few years. Uh, managed to choose both the Sanchez and McGath seasons like an absolute moron. I was actually able to get back to the UK this season and caught the Brentford game. What a game to attend such an immense performance and a day that will live long in the memory. Anyway, here's a, this will catch on for our Brazilian maestro, William to the tune of flagpole sitter by Harvey danger. Do you know this song? No. Well, I mean, I don't off its well, name. Yeah, you will. Um, weirdly, George has said it's that song from American Pie. I think, and I don't know the entire back catalogue of American Pie's um, music, but I think he means the song from Peep Show. It's definitely the theme tune to Peep Show. Well, it might be in both. Anyway. It might be in both, but I'm pretty sure that Flagpole Sitter by Harvey Danger is famous for Peep Show, not for American Pie. But anyway, it might be both. As I said, I haven't watched every American Pie. Uh, but anyway, here is George's song. He's willy and he's running down the wing and he's going to beat you. Yeah, he's going to beat you. He's with us in the Premier League. He's fantastic and he's our man. He's our man, he's our man And William is running down the wing And he's going to beat you Yeah, he's going to beat you He's living his Brazilian dream He's fantastic and he's our man He's our man, he's our man Proper under the uh, stairs cupboard vibes uh, from George there. I liked um, it. Jack, what do you think? I actually, obviously it is the Peep Show theme tune. Uh, it's also in Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, which I watched with my cousins like two weeks ago. I just was singing it. I was like, oh, this is in Scooby-Doo. Um, so, so there you go. I watched that over Christmas. And so therefore you, uh, that's why it's, it's bringing up memories for me. Um, yeah, no, very good. I, I, I struggle with the idea of it catching on, but I did enjoy it. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I stopped kind of rating things out of 10, didn't I? But I give it a, yeah, no, a nice round six and a half, seven. A classic performance in the middle of the park. Um, Peter, are you a Peep Show fan? Yeah, no, I am. I, I'm not sure I ever thought there'd be a football chant put to the theme tune of it. Um, pleasant listening. Not not sure about it as a chant, but you know. Yeah, I enjoyed we'll the song. The I, don't, I, enjoyed I, don't, the I don't song. think the song's <laughs> well known Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. But uh, a good submission nonetheless. The final one today is from Marisa Cardoni. Uh, Marisa has sent us a few um, incredible songs um, over the years. Marisa sits next coming, to me yeah. in the Hammersmith end. Um, so this is a song that's already catched. Uh, this is a song that's already caught on, but this is a remix. Catched on. That's excellent. <laughs> this It's already catched on. Um, I was going to edit that out, but you've now um, referenced it, so I won't. Hi, apologies for not using the proper channel previously. I've only just heard the Spurs preview pod where this song was introduced. I've faffed about with a couple of phones and come up with the attached remix to John Hall's classic, You To Me Are Everything, Tom Kearney. Um, and it's cheers from Marisa. Obviously, uh, if you haven't heard this song, then um, where have you been? Um, but this is Marisa's remix and it is just fantastic. Well, 
is exquisite it's also the most fulham thing ever i think i've said this before marisa is is wonderful in and her her remix of these songs are are to be adored but the most fulham thing ever in the world is to come up with a really good chant and then be like wicked let's barbershop it um it really does it really does really fit the bill of this club in so many ways doesn't it um i've i've, I've referred to i think marisa's remix in the past of like when pep guardiola gets hold of a tactic and and, and perfects it so I'm going to stick with that analogy. Uh, that was wonderful. And those remixes, long may they continue as far as I'm concerned. It really has uh, caught on again. Uh, it, I think it, I think it was, uh, was it heard at the Sunderland game? Certainly the club um, tweeted the, the video of Tom Kearney scoring that sensational goal um, against Sunderland um, with you to me are everything and the musical note emojis, which was, uh, which was fun. I'm just waiting for that away game where it really gets going. I'm waiting for that. Maybe Chelsea, like maybe Chelsea ma- is the marker. Oh, sing it loud, sing it proud of you going to uh, Chelsea on Friday. That'll do for the pod today. Um, thank you for all this. I'll catch on submissions. Uh, more next week, um, which will be after that uh, Sunderland game on the Wednesday night. Uh, a couple of pod name suggestions uh, here for you, Jack, to pick through. Uh, we did some three word reviews on the window. Um, and uh, I thought we could pick one of these as the pod name today. Uh, so Jakob Kruper said, strengthening the foundations. Nice. Jay Blankenship said depth, not debts. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. I was hoping then, you were going to repeat that one. And then Chris Brosnan said, we're happy, happy, which um, in the break got us wondering what a couple of people had said, we're happy, happy. I was like, what the, what have I missed a joke here? And it all comes from um, Sasa Lukic's uh, little video that he did on social media after he signed, where he said that he's happy, happy to be here at, uh, at Craven Cottage, which feels like maybe the um, the equivalent of when Jordan North said that Turf Moor was his happy place. Um, maybe that uh, we can uh, that can be Sasa Lukic's thing that he's always just happy, happy whenever he does something. Um, so that's the joke. So well done, Chris. I get it now. I was trying to work out why I had so many likes, um, but I just hadn't watched the video. Uh, Jack, your choice for the pod name? As much as I enjoy uh, Sasha's opening gambit to Fulham fans, <laughs> uh, I do think that Jay's depth, not debts, is absolutely exceptional. Yeah, very, very good. Okay, the podcast will return um, on Sunday. Jack, you're hosting the pod. This weekend. I am, yes. The podcast will actually return on Saturday. Have a have a free one. Um, I'm going to record yeah. the morning after the Chelsea game, which we're hoping will be an incredibly hungover sore heads podcast after being up all night on the pink champagne. Enjoy it, everybody. And um, it's uh, going to be a big Friday night if we can get a result. Peter Rutzer, thank you for coming on as ever. I know it's been a busy uh, couple of days for you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I feel like I've been half asleep during this, but I have enjoyed it, so thank you for having me. <laughs> and then just to add insult to injury, next week you might have been hoping for a nice relaxing one. They're going to ship you off to Sunderland on a Wednesday. Yeah, I prefer not to speak, but we'll, 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 we'll see what happens. <laughs> Peter, you must be livid when that ended in the draw. You're like, honestly, I'd rather have lost. Um, no comment. I think uh, I think the the Fulham dressing room from from what I heard inside it were absolutely devastated by the fact that this has gone to a replay. So we shall see. Uh, Jack Collins, thank you very much. No, thank you, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. Um, have a lovely weekend, whatever you're doing. Uh, enjoy Jack's uh, podcast that he's hosting over the weekend, reviewing that Chelsea match and the Thursday club will return a, a little bit later next week, um, but it will be on Thursday, uh, reviewing that Sunderland replay. So yeah, thank you very much for listening and come on you whites. You whites. You whites.